We're back here in the courtroom of current events with Peter's proffer, hitting a hot-button topic today that a lot of people have been talking to me about and wanting to hear what we had to say on. I'm a little interested. I think it can go in a number of different ways, especially with the three people we'll have uh, in the room today. Um, Hopefully no one gets too offended, but I think there are some strong views on uh, what we can do and what the current climate of the nation is so thanks for being with us as always hit us up on social media at tragos law we will hit as many topics as we can each week and thanks for listening let's hit the intro like to stay current here on Peter's Proffer, so we are going to talk about gun control in this episode. We'll talk about um, what the current laws are, um, what they are purported to be changed, what people want them to change to, and how we kind of feel on both sides of the aisle, and uh, what we would do to enhance safety in America, but also keeping our rights under the Second Amendment. Um, So today we have George Tragos and Peter Sardis here with me. Um, And we're going to kind of go through how both sides feel about gun control and kind of where we stand. Um, But we first want to say, I think it's pretty clear that nobody is for mass school shootings or mass murderers or terrorists in America. So no matter what side we fall on, um, realize that, you know, I don't think anybody in America is trying to enhance people's ability for uh, mass shootings. And, you know, we obviously send out our condolences, our thoughts and prayers to all of the victims of all of these mass shootings. And, you know, we want to find ways to protect future potential victims um, the best way that, you know, we can as lawyers who have an effect on some of the laws in America. So um, we're first going to just kind of start out with um, what gun control laws are and what they're meant to do. It all starts with the Second Amendment. There are gun laws in this country at the state level, at the federal level, that talk about all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, when we have these discussions, it's about what did the forefathers uh, put into the Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment to the Constitution, about people's right to bear arms. Right, but the right to bear arms is not unlimited. The United States Supreme Court has said that reasonable restrictions are acceptable. But what are reasonable restrictions? And are we giving away some of our civil rights if the Second Amendment can be changed just by a law passed by Congress? And people don't sometimes recognize that the Second Amendment doesn't say you have the right to bear arms. What it really talks about is you have the right to bear arms in order to um, protect against oppression from your own government. Or I think you have the right to bear arms to protect yourself. I mean, you can't just say you have the right to bear arms and not have a gun in your house. It was designed because during the Revolutionary War, Britain came over here, tried to take away our guns. If Britain had taken away our guns, we'd have no army, we'd have no right to fight Britain, and we wouldn't push them back into the sea and have an independent country. And just for clarification purposes, the, the actual verbiage in the Second Amendment is um, that you have a right to a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state and the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So that's kind of what we're talking about. We're going to explain it. Um, and the way we're going to do that is kind of going back and forth on um, some of the you know headlines or topics that are in the news and how both sides feel about it and kind of where we fall. 
So the first uh, headline we're going to talk about is uh, stricter gun control is an attack on the Second Amendment. Agree, disagree? How, what would you guys argue on that? You know, that's interesting. Um, I saw a meme yesterday, and it was one of those anti-gun memes, and it said, you know, when the Second Amendment was written, uh, guns looked like this. It's a picture of a guy holding a musket. But I thought about it. I said, you know what? Everybody back in 1492, all they had was a musket. So when you bring it into, into today's reality, if you're going to have the right to bear arms to protect a free state, you've got to be as equipped as anybody that could potentially take away that free state. So is an AR-15 something you need? In my opinion, no, you don't need it. But that's not the question. Is taking it away an attack on the Second Amendment? I think the answer is yes. Anytime the government wants to interfere with your constitutional rights, you've got to worry. And that's my concern. I agree. No one needs an AR-15. No one needs a clip that has 40 bullets in it. You don't need those things. But boy, where does it stop if you allow people to do that, if you allow Congress to interfere, if you allow emotion to get in the way of logic and the protection you're allowed in the Constitution? Well, I think that the gun control position would be the verbiage in the Second Amendment is a well-regulated militia. So it's is it building in then that there's going to be some government regulation to the militia that we can build or the arms that we can bear? There are two parts to this cut to this Second Amendment. First is the well-regulated militia, but then there's a comma, and the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So the people, I'm the people. I want to keep a gun. I want to bear a gun in my house. So that's why I think this amendment protects my right to have my gun in my home. So the other side would, would obviously say that after the comma, it says that those rights to keep and bear arms will not be infringed. So, you know, there is an argument that if we talk about stricter gun control legislation, that that is infringing on the right of the citizens of the United States to keep and bear arms. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, our position on this side would be that really too much gun control is an attack on the Second Amendment since it was specifically written to say that this right will not be infringed. Um, the second headline we're going to talk about is there can be no, quote unquote, partial restriction of fundamental rights. Keep in mind that earlier years ago, we did have a restriction on assault weapons and clips, where I think the number was 11 bullets in it. So there have been restrictions that have been held up as being reasonable. I guess now you have to decide, all right, just because it's reasonable, does that mean it's right? Does that mean we're infringing on other people's rights? Should we infringe on my right to have a gun in my house, whatever gun I want? So I guess we're kind of then arguing that, yes, too much legislation can be an attack on the Second Amendment, but we are in agreement that some limitation is worth it for public safety reasons. Yeah, but there are limitations, and there are limitations, for example, and we'll get into this a little bit more in a moment, but the media talks about all these automatic weapons. I promise you, unless you have a Class 3 license, you do not have an automatic weapon. An automatic weapon Or if is, you're a criminal. Well, yeah. I mean, if, you've, if, you've, uh, if you're doing something that's completely unlawful and you've bought a firearm outside of the United States or you've purchased a firearm and, and done a lot of modification to it, yes, you can do that. But uh, your average civilian can't buy an automatic weapon. You can buy a semi-automatic weapon. I'll get through some of the definitions later. But there's a, there are restrictions. Don't forget bump stocks. Remember yeah. those? Bump stocks are legal modifications. 
that you can make to a weapon, and every time it shoots, it shoots again. They file off the firing pin. It was legal. It was used in Las Vegas when they did all those shooting and killed all those people. They used a bump stock. Now, they're trying to do away with it. Everybody agrees it should be illegal, but it was legal at the time. So there are reasonable restrictions that can be placed on weapons. Which kind of brings us to our next um, headline, which is more guns equal more homicide. You know, I don't know if that's true. Uh, and I've seen the statistics. And, and it depends on which news channel you watch will tell you what the proportion is. The reality is guns have been legal in this country since its inception. There are more guns in this country than there are people. If you stopped manufacturing guns today, you would still have more guns than you have people to shoot them. So the issue then becomes just because there are more guns doesn't propagate more shootings or more crime. Although there is a reality. Criminals use guns and if they're willing to break the law, the only people that are going to be able to stop them are law enforcement. Because if law-abiding citizens don't have guns, then you've taken an entire level of, um, of uh, how do I say it, a, a level of protection or possible security out. Yeah, and, and the, the stats you're probably talking about, which, which I have here, is um, the rate of gun ownership being reduced reduces the instances of violence with it, okay? And the me- this method has been demonstrated in Australia, where the passage of strict gun laws in 1996, which included the destruction of approximately 650,000 automatic and semi-automatic weapons, resulted in a 59% decrease in gun-related homicides and a and has completely halted the occurrence of mass shootings. So, I mean, I think there are positives and negatives to that stat. Obviously, Australia is very different than than America, but it did reduce it by 59% and basically totally eliminate mass shootings. But the difference in those stats is what's the population of Australia compared to the population of the United States? Okay, what difference would that make? Because the percentages, how many people actually get shot in the United States compared to shot in other countries? But who what's cares if it's a percentage? Rate? Who cares? If, if let's say 100 people get shot a year in Australia well, and 10,000 in America, it doesn't matter. It's still decreased by 59%. So if you apply the percentages, then it's still going to be 59% of 10,000 here versus 100 there, just making up numbers. Make a huge difference. I mean, the numbers make a difference. Chicago has the most homicides of, of any city in the country. And the strictest gun laws. And the strictest gun laws. So how do you explain that? You know, Mayor Emanuel's there. Uh, you know, he's saying, you know, we've got to stop this. Yet, there's, there's, no, there's no guns walking around being sold in the streets. Not legally. Hold on a second. I saw another interesting statistic that I can't confirm or deny one way or another, but it basically says that the United States has the highest incident of gun violence, right? If you take out Detroit, Chicago, I think it was uh, New Orleans, and one other city, we now fall to fifth from the bottom. And those are the cities that have the toughest gun laws. And, and also the, the other side would have a, a, a statistic that would work in their favor where in 1997, Great Britain banned civilian possession of almost all handguns in response to the Dunblane massacre. Um, the rate of intentional homicide climbed to a peak in 2002 and is still higher today than it was in 1996, which was the year before the law took effect. So there are, there are opposing statistics in other countries where they bump up the gun laws and the homicide rate still goes up. So I, 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 well, I don't necessarily agree with you that, that the percentage makes a big difference, but 
I do agree that it's an isolated incident using one country, and we can find other countries, obviously, that have the opposite statistics. So I don't think necessarily that it's a direct correlation that right when you make stricter gun laws that homicide percentages will go down. But who in those countries now have the guns? Are they the law-abiding citizens, or are they the criminals? Right. I mean, obviously, I think that's a an argument for, for gun rights. The gun rights side, you know, is something that they hold dear to is that the criminals are going to be the only ones with guns now. In this uh, country, we want to protect our homes, and the way we protect it is we have guns in our homes. Criminal comes in now, you know, he can pretty much know he's going to get shot. But if you take my gun away because I'm a law-abiding citizen, that criminal comes to my home, how do I protect myself? Okay, well, let's go to the next one, which is guns contribute to a higher suicide rate. I don't know if that makes any sense either. I don't know if most people shoot themselves, they commit suicide. People overdose, they lock themselves in their garage and turn the car on, they hang themselves. Yeah, I don't think the vast majority of of suicides are are gun. Well, the gun control position is that research increasingly challenges the notion of carefully contemplated suicide. We now understand that suicide tends to be a spur of the moment decision. Moreover, states with a high rate of gun ownership have a suicide rate that is nearly twice that of the states with low levels of ownership, but they share comparable rates of people with suicide tendencies. In other words, unhappy people who have immediate access to a gun are two to ten times more likely to commit suicide than those who don't. That's what, that's what the gun control position would be on this headline. Yeah, um, until you, I guess, recognize that most people that commit suicide leave a suicide note. Well, I mean, you can say that, but we, we have cases, criminal cases, where somebody is, uh, you know, we've argued insanity, sometimes successfully, sometimes not successfully, who drive home to their house, get their gun, and shoot somebody. If that gun did not exist, they would not be able to kill that person or kill themselves or both in certain situations. Or they might have found some other weapon to use. If they're intent on killing somebody, they'll find a way to kill them. You believe that? Yes, I so do. So in the specific example that I'm talking about, you know the case that I'm talking about? Yes. Okay, do you think that she would have been able to do that? She would have tried. It wouldn't have stopped her. And she and some people may have died, some people may have lived. I don't know. But in that case... Without a gun, how would she possibly have, have created such chaos? She could have used a knife. She could have, used, she could have done a uh, stick of dynamite. Who knows? But a stick of dynamite. Yeah, don't forget. Don't forget. She what, could have in the uh, in the bombings uh, years ago. Uh, Timothy McVeigh used uh, fertilizer. Ni- fertilizer and nitrous something, in, right. and, and killed thousands. Actually, not thousands. Hundreds of people inside of the federal building. Yeah. All the children, by the way, were in the um, in the nursery on the first floor. A mentally ill person or a person who really has a serious mental problem is going to find a way to effectuate what they want to effectuate and get done what they want to get done. So you, you don't think any gun control would contribute to suicide rates at all? No. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, but I am trying to play devil's advocate with some of these. So the next headline, no matter what quote-unquote rights advocates say, assault weapons are not necessary for self-defense or sport. Right. And I think you guys have a, an interesting position on this. Let me chime in on this. We talk about assault weapons, uh, and a lot of people think AR in AR-15 means assault rifle. It does not. It stands for Armalite Rifle Model 15. I can take an Armalite Rifle Model 15 and take a Winchester 308. It is the same weapon. The difference is one looks militarized because it's got the hand grips and the stocks are designed to keep attachments, flashlights, scopes, things like that. 
Um, isn't, isn't it, what about a Kalishnikov? Isn't that what that? That's an AK-47. AK, yeah. It is not. Um, I mean, it looks like an assault weapon to me. Well, because it looks like one. They make civilian version of the AK-47. It's the most popular weapon in the world for wars and for soldiers to fight wars and for rebels to buy. I concur, because the Russians and the Chinese build them in mass, and they're cheap, right. and they always work. But the AK-47s that get sold at the Tampa Gun Show are not automatic weapons. They're not military-grade. So, you know, even though it may look menacing, it's no different than a hunting rifle. Okay, so I mean, so would you agree then that they're they're not <coughs> necessary for self-defense or sport? Ah, interesting you should ask. I've spent 10 years in the Army firing a weapon that's similar to the AK-47, the military version. That version, at least in my day, had three-round burst possibilities. So you could pull the trigger, three bullets would come out. Uh, the older versions had automatic, you'd pull the trigger and just bullets start flying out of it until you stopped pulling the trigger. What the Army found out was they were wasting bullets by doing that, so that's why they went to three-round burst. That same rifle cannot be bought in civilian society. You have to buy it as a civilian model, an AR-15, which only has single round shot. Now, hold on a second. The great thing about the AR-15 is that it's simple to operate and it is very accurate. And there are a lot of people that use it or a variant of it to go hunting. They do because they, they can actually uh, set the scope and the sights on the rifle to the, their individual shooting style. That's why the Army bought the Armalite's version of that, uh, of that firearm. 40 years ago during the Vietnam conflict. Okay, so I, I guess we still haven't, I still haven't gotten to the, the answer really of what, what is the necessary reason for needing an assault rifle or an AK-47 for self-defense or sport? Well, you don't need it. It's not a question of need. The question is, do people use it for sport? Yes, they do. Uh, and the reason they use it for sport is because it is easily modifiable to a specific shooter and it's a more accurate firearm. That's why people buy them. Okay, so I mean, I guess the answer is no, they don't need it for sport or self-defense. They don't need it. It's not yeah. necessary. But as we kind of talked about in the first couple headlines, how far do you go in limiting or infringing on a citizen's right to keep and bear arms? That's kind of the the bigger issue with, with this section is we can just continue to go and, well, do they need it for this? Or what do you really need if there's an individual intruding in your house? Or if there's five people coming in your house? Or what do you need it for this specific purpose or that? I think is when we kind of get into the gray area of how much are we really infringing on a constitutional right. Um, the next headline is stricter gun control will give birth to a black market. Oh, I think that's true because that'll certainly raise, like anything else, raise the price of the item the only people who are going to buy it are people who do not abide by the law, and therefore you're going to have the criminals having the guns and the decent citizens not having guns, and so how are they going to protect themselves? And I think that the prohibition is kind of a good example of this too because when alcohol was prohibited in America, all we had were the underground bars and the you know back alleys where you could get this stuff where it was illegal but it was still available and there are already so many guns out there that if something like this were to happen where nobody was able to keep and bear arms they would still be out there and there'd be plenty of people that still kept and and bore arms but you know it would be a, a black market i'm not sure what the argument is against this i'll tell you what the argument is the argument is if no one had guns if there were not available then they you wouldn't be able to buy them on the black market because there would be no availability the problem is you assume a vacuum where there is no gun to be able to sell, but that's not a reality. I mean, there, there, 
there are more guns. So it's a bad argument. It's a bad argument. I mean, if you yeah. look at the Australia stat where they destroyed 650,000 guns, um, I guess that's something that, that could be put into place where everybody's got to bring their guns to the town hall and we burn them all or something. I don't really know. And a lot of people, even law-abiding citizens, would not do that right. even if the laws changed. I think it would be interesting because now we're going to have people committing crimes that wouldn't have in the past committed crimes because they're not going to give up something that they believe is their constitutional right, which opens up a whole other right. bag of... So then what happens to the guy that, in fact, is a criminal and doesn't care about your your law because he's going to violate the law anyway? Well, yeah, exactly. And I think the other the, the argument to the other side of that is we can't write laws worrying about the people that are going to break them. We have to write the laws that are best for society. Um, okay, headline number seven. Gun control won't stop the quote-unquote bad guys from getting guns. I think we've kind of hit this one all so. over the place, so we'll just skip to number eight. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. And that's absolutely correct. If we don't take responsibility for our actions in this country, and that's what's happened, people haven't taken responsibility. Everybody gets an award when you play when you play football, whether you're good or bad. No one has individual responsibility for success or failure. The press is all over gun control when you have a gun control march now. Yet for years, pro-life against abortion, against death by abortion, the press doesn't cover that anywhere near as much. We've got a culture of death in this country, and people need to realize you've got to change the culture and make people responsible. Let them stop killing people because they believe they shouldn't kill people, not because they have a gun. Yeah, I was going to add in there, there are more car accident-related deaths in this country every month than there are firearm-related. That was going to be my argument. Next, are we going to take away knives? Are we going to not let people drive anymore? Are we going to take away, you know, um, I don't know, airplanes? You're not going to be able to travel that way. Um, you're not going to be able to smoke cigarettes or cigars because you could burn yourself to death. I mean, you could take away everything and create a society where you could never be able to do anything that would create a death. Now, obviously, I realize people say, well, guns are meant only to kill. Um, but but I, I just think that's a really slippery slope as far as if you start taking every single possibility away for somebody to be killed then you also have to take away everybody's right to self-defense. No more karate classes, no more boxing classes, anything that could potentially lead to the death of another person or, in essence, protecting yourself is going to eventually, there's going to be an argument to take it away. Is government responsible for protecting us from everything? Do we ever have a responsibility to protect ourselves from, our, from ourselves, from what other people may do to us, or do we just rely on the government? And that's been the problem with socialist countries. Well, they rely on the government to take care of everything. Well, the the next headline is the gun is the great equalizer. So that kind of comes into this. And what you're saying is whether you're a 100-pound female or a 350-pound 6'5 guy, somebody with a gun can protect themselves against you. Absolutely. You know, there was a, um, a moniker back in the 1850s when Colt first produced their repeating uh, revolver pistol. And that's exactly what they said. It's the equalizer. It takes anyone can put, in, uh, put a firearm in their hands, learn how to use it, and I don't have to be bigger than you. I don't have to be faster than you. I don't have to be stronger than you as long as I'm a better shot and, I'm, and I can get, the, get a round off before you. It's like the song. Pumped up kicks, better run, better run, outrun my bullet, or however it goes. So, uh, and you can't do that. So, I mean, I, I think the gun is the great equalizer. It's just, you know, what types of restrictions are fair. Um, lastly, before we get to potential solutions, we're going to talk about the, the 10th headline, which is public opinion overwhelmingly supports gun control. And within this headline, 
I'm going to bring up that some of the students in the recent Parkland shooting are going on, you know, uh, they're, they're protesting, they're going on these news shows and talking about how the NRA kills children and how anybody that supports gun rights supports the killing of children, which we opened the show with. That's obviously not true. Um, I, I think that that's just kind of, uh, clickbait and they're really trying to get people to listen and watch whatever these articles are or watch whatever these news shows are to try to get ratings up when in reality that's just really far-fetched and it's not doing anybody any good and and somebody should probably tell these students to you know really understand how both sides see this and how there are probably a lot of people with that that are gun rights people whose children also died in these school shootings i've seen students on both sides of this issue there were 3100 students at that high school that's a huge high school. So you know you're going to find people on all sides of any particular issue. The point is, emotion can't drive taking away constitutional rights. Because if that were true, then we would still have segregation in this country because the majority of the people in this country were for seg- segregation. So you just can't go by the majority rule or the mob rule. And that's what they're doing right now is they're trying to go for mob rule and the mainstream press is encouraging the heck out of it. They love it. So I think the answer to this headline is public opinion doesn't necessarily control. And just because the initial reaction of the public says something does not mean that, you know, the the lawmakers just turn around and change laws. I think there has to be a lot of thought and discussion that goes into this, which brings us into the the uh, ending of the podcast where we're going to talk about what are some potential solutions that we see that are working and what are some that we think can be implemented because I think we're all in favor of some gun control, even though we're all also probably considered gun rights people. So uh, we believe in the Second Amendment, but we also believe in the safety of the citizens of the United States. So what types of solutions would you say you think would be reasonable and also not infringing on our Second Amendment rights? Let me, I guess, preface a statement by saying I think that there comes a limit. Um, Obviously, you don't see tanks uh, rolling down the street. You don't see guys with rocket launchers in in Clearwater, Florida. But to have waiting periods, to have some sort of a class that someone has to take, to have better registration requirements doesn't necessarily offend me. And, you know, I don't want to, uh, at this point, I don't really want to comment too much on what happened with that deputy sheriff that was at that particular school. But I've heard that this kid had been reported a number of times to law enforcement. He'd made multiple threats multiple times. So he's a, he's a known suspect. I understand the FBI had him on some sort of watch list. And I understand shots were fired and a deputy sheriff who was there and was armed. And I promise you, if he was in a police car, had a shotgun or an AR-15 of his own, did nothing. So I don't know if it's the, 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 the lunatic kid that came in to kill some children in a school or if it's all the safeguards and system that failed. Well, and there's people on both sides of that equation. There is a person that made a bad decision to go in and shoot up a school and another person who made a bad decision in failing to act. And we're never going to be able to control people altogether. No matter what the laws are, no matter what we want, there's no utopian society where people are just totally controlled and always do the right thing. But I think a lot of what's been in the media as potential uh, safeguards and things that we can do um, in, in the gun control arena include some mental health testing or if you have some kind of mental health issues in your past that you can't own a gun. Obviously, felonies or uh, felons can't own guns. Well, mental health, is a, that's a, a, a tricky issue because what is a mental health issue? You're depressed. Um, you've had a problem with your wife and you are angry. 
there's a lot of issues that you have to overcome. I don't know how they're going to write that law. I'm waiting to see it. I do agree that there are certain mental health problems that that person shouldn't own a gun. But it's going to be a tough one to find out exactly, well, what is it? And how do they regulate the mental health aspect of owning a gun or not owning a gun? Well, I think it's interesting to, to talk about and think about because I also think it can be sort of a similar Baker Act situation where somebody around you thinks you're a danger to yourself or other people, and then you can be um, uh, evaluated by mental health professionals, and they can kind of come to a determination if that's something that should be added to your chart or limitations that because of the danger that you are to yourself or somebody else that you can't own a gun. You know, I, I hazard to, to agree one way or another because I can see someone that has a mental health background uh, coming in complaining and saying, look, whatever happened to me 20 years ago, I got Baker acted because my mom Well, there can be me. a reapplication yeah. of your rights. I mean, you reapply for your rights. I mean, I think that that's something that can be that can also be put into a law is, you know, if you are Baker acted or whatever they want to call it, maybe, you know, there's the Marshman Act. Um, it can be, you know, or the Gunman Act or whatever, where somebody is reported as being a danger. They're evaluated by mental health professionals. They lose the right to bear arms and then they can reapply however many years later and, and be reevaluated again. Well, you've got a situation where that costs money. Right. So are we only making it a situation where people who have money are going to be able to get their rights restored under the mental health aspect and get a gun. What Wait, about people? Why does that, that? Why is that? Why can't that be a, a government-funded thing like the, the Baker Act? And then, so we're already in a deficit spending. So now we're going to spend even more money to pay for everybody's mental health. If it's exam. necessary for societal safety, then yes. I mean, yeah, just like anything else. Well, they're talking now. We're talking about budget. Uh, I saw in, on the news this morning, Rick Scott has proposed five hundred million dollars to the budget. For this, for school safety, five hundred million dollars just to put a police officer on the school campus around for every school around the state. Is that all that it's? Is that all it's covering? No, I think it's also going to put like bulletproof doors and, and okay. some walls so you can have some safe locations and training for in the, the teachers school. to learn, learn learn how to use guns. Yeah, I, I don't think, think I don't think that's a ba- that that doesn't bother me at all. That okay, the so that's can have two guns. opposite views uh, then. Okay, no, so let's that, talk that about, doesn't bother me. Okay, at hold all. on. So let's talk about it. So there's been some some things in the media about. Uh, and Trump, I think, has even said a bonus or something for teachers that are trained on how to use guns so that if this happens, that they can be there to shoot the bad guy. Yeah. In the Army, we call it danger pay. And let me give you a little background. In um, Back in World War II, one, I think it was, like, I don't know, five, of every five shots that were fired, only one actually hit its target. Why? Because they used to train people by shooting at paper targets that were round. And the majority of soldiers went to war and could not bring themselves to actually aim, lock on a human target, pull the trigger, and kill someone. So they would close their eyes, aim inappropriately, whatever the case may be. The Army changed that uh, and then started using what's called silhouette targets. And they taught us how to shoot at a human silhouette, and it became, um, how do you call it? Uh, it's an, it's easier a, to shoot it's somebody. A, yeah, but it becomes an um, inherent reaction. It's no longer something you think about. It just happens. Taking teachers and trying to make teachers into special operators or police officers or whatever you want to call them, I don't think it's a great idea. Do I have a problem with teachers carrying guns? No. But I don't want to be in a position where the teacher's carrying the gun, something bad happens, and the teacher freezes. Well, yeah, and I also, I guess I'm kind of in the middle. I don't have a problem with if teachers want to go through the course to learn how to do that. 
but and if they are somebody that carries a gun and knows how to use it and and I think that they should be able to do that and that would be great in those situations I would hate if it was a situation where a teacher could go through this course, make five extra thousand dollars a year, and that's why they do it. And now they have a gun and they have no business carrying a gun, kind of like stipends for coaching a sport at a small school that they know nothing about that sport, but they just do it for the money and the sport, they end up sucking at the sport. Don't you think that a shooter will think twice about going to school and realizing, you know what? Every teacher behind that no. door may have a gun. No. Oh, I think so. This kid knew there was a, office, a, a resource officer, a sheriff at the school. It didn't stop him. Yeah, but the sheriff wasn't around. How did he, he finally know? Got, when he finally got there, the sheriff waited outside four minutes. The he didn't was, know the that. The kid was able to leave the school there's and no walk way. over to McDonald's. Okay, but he there's no way that die. the kid there's no way that the kid knew that the resource officer wasn't going to come. So it's the same argument no. then. If the, all the teachers have guns and I come in and start shooting up the school and nobody shoots me, why am I? What do I have to be scared of? Now the wait a minute, that kid did not want to die. He went over to McDonald's and he wanted to get away and he got caught. If he knew he goes in that school and he's going to die, I think he'll think twice about. I I think we've had plenty of situations where people do want to die when they go shoot up a school. Suicide by cop. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that no. that solves the problem. But, I mean, I think there are arguments on both sides to whether or not teachers should be um, uh, trained to use the guns. But we hit a lot of topics. Um, we got a lot of arguments on both sides. Um, but we are happy you guys were with us today to talk about gun control. And uh, let us know if there's anything else you want to hear from us. You can hit us up on social media at Tragos Law. And we'll see you next time. 